Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. It's been a very interesting week for Aston Villa. We're recording this on the Sunday. So, of course, on Wednesday, we had a great 1-1 draw against Leicester City away in the Carabao Cup, EFL Cup, whatever you want to call it these days. It seems to change every five minutes. And, of course, with recording this on the Sunday, we have just lost 6-1 at home at the hands of the defending champions, Manchester City. Uh, We'll get into those in a bit, but we'll start with some transfer news. And actually, before I even get into that, I should say, we do have a new guest. He has a 7,500 to Holt contributor already. So he he knows the space well, and he's been itching to get on. Uh, So without further ado, Jake Fenicle, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah, it's... uh, (laughs) It's been an interesting week, um, but even before we get into that and kind of a surprise question, um, I, I think a lot of fans kind of are interested in, in, in how people essentially uh, start to support the club, especially from abroad. Uh, so without further ado, uh, how did you come to support Villa? Yeah, uh, long story short, um, I'm, a, I'm 23 years old, so I grew up basically not in the prime time of Villa, but... I grew up a I grew up a Man U fan just because that's sort of what we had back here in the states. I had the one soccer channel. It would always show Man U games with Ronaldo. I loved Cristiano on Man U. He was sort of my favorite player at the time. And then as I sort of got to like the age range where you start realizing what sports actually are, all of my friends were Man U, Chelsea, Arsenal, City, whatever it may be. Obviously, obviously, I didn't want to just succumb to that and be that be that person. So I sort of started to look for my own team. Uh, There's something about Villa that caught my eye, and I've stuck with it ever since. Um, there haven't been too many highs but <laughs> but but yeah but ever since probably 2010 maybe even before that I've been Villa through and through I don't don't even think about any other club I watch I've been watching Facebook live streams went from fans in the stands whenever there's no streams available whatever it may be I'm um, always there for Villa um so I'm just trying to get yeah still trying to get my head straight after that 6-1 whopping today but we'll get into that later so basically, um, I know a lot of fans are in the UK that listen to this because I can see the stats when I post these um, or when James posts them in the past. Um, and I know a lot of them are interested to see how American, Canadian, whatever, wherever you are from, essentially uh, come to support the Villa. But essentially, we're international fans that are uh, suckers for punishment, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, we'll get into some more positive news. I guess we can kind of say it's positive news, but I don't know if it's that positive for uh, Danny Drinkwater after that performance. <laughs> we, of course, sign Danny Drinkwater for... From Chelsea, of course, he was on loan at Burnley um, for the first half of the season. And of course, I think he only played something like 59 minutes there, but he joins us for the rest of the season. Uh, Of course, that's clear cover for John McGinn, uh, something that's definitely needed. Um, And we'll get into a little bit later, of course, on how his performance went today. Uh, But James or James, wow, Jake, I have too many J's (laughs) on this podcast. Jake. How do you feel about uh, this signing? What do you think he offers? And uh, being 29 now, can he reca- recapture any of that form? He's not. I wouldn't say he's going to be one that's going to be a game changer. He's not going to be one that's going to be the individual to keep us up or send us down. He's just going to be sort of there, hopefully, to not really make a scene, not really make too many mistakes, not do too. I mean, obviously, we want him to play well, but I'm not expecting him to be super fantastic. I just don't. I just want him to fill the role that McGinn sort of left, and we haven't really been. The midfield's been sort of off with when we play Nakamba and Douglas, so I think Drinkwater into that lineup will sort of fill that McGinn role where it'll sort of, sort of connect a little bit better than having the two defensive midfielders or putting her hand in there and having nothing go his way as well. So I think he'll sort of fill that role, but not, he won't be anything fantastic, but I also hope that he doesn't make too many mistakes that kill us in the end. 
Yeah, <laughs> the mistakes things uh, I think we'll get onto in a little bit yep. because it was pretty clear he's lacking match fitness. And honestly, I feel bad for the guy to be thrown into basically to the wolves uh, <laughs> right away. Um, with that being said, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, so that's the one bit of news. In my opinion, it's a smart signing. Uh, I think the sticking point here, and of course this was reported on Tuesday, um, I think it was the wages, and I think that was the the line that was kind of trying to uh, be fixed here, because essentially this was a rumor that was going on for really the last week or so beforehand. Um, I think he's on 110,000 pound wages, and I think Villa was sitting there thinking, we're not paying all that. I don't know the details, of course, if they are paying all that, but nonetheless, he's on way too much money um, for a loan signing, unless it's someone that's on the higher echelon, a higher tier player. Uh, You think you're not paying all that for a loan signing, but anyways, a kind of a I wouldn't say a cheap, but it kind of a cheerful, he'll do the job signing. Um, and I think in a sense, he also takes some of the responsibility off of Douglas Louise as well, because when we look at Douglas Louise, we expect him to be the uh, ball playing midfielder, the one that's going to make that killer pass um, in behind Grealish, or sometimes even kind of jaunting alongside him, depending on how things are going. But I think Grealish with or Grealish, wow, drink water. You can tell it's a Sunday because I'm so relaxed. Uh, drink water with all of his uh, distribution and really what he's done in the past. I think Villa fans are hoping he can recapture some of that. But anyways, we'll get on to the next signing here. It hasn't been announced officially as I drop a pen, um, but uh, it, maybe the pen is the way I feel about this. <laughs> but it is, of course, Pepe Rena, of course, a six-month loan deal for the remainder of the season from how it looks. Um, where I'm seeing reports coming out that it may be an option to buy as well, but he's an experienced head. Of course, we all know him from his time at Liverpool being the shot stopper there for many years. Of course, of course, he's enjoyed spells at Napoli and AC Milan respectively. Jake, how do you feel about this potential signing? I won't call it an official signing yet because it hasn't been announced by the club, but how do you feel about this? Do you feel bad for Nyland? Is, is it something that wasn't really needed or essentially what are your thoughts? I do feel bad for Nyland, um, especially, I mean, yeah, we'll get into this, but the way he looked at Leicester, decent enough, um, and I think he deserves a shot. He didn't really get out, he didn't really lose his spot last year in the championship. It was sort of, he got injured, and then he, uh, Jed, Steer, Jed Steer came back, and he obviously took us took us to the Premier League, and then we bought uh, Heaton now, but I really think that it's un- that it would be harsh for Nyland to just sort of lose his spot to Aloni just directly off the bat. I think Reyna will be very good sort of uh, just in the locker room sort of thing, sort of teaching the sort of, sort of like keeping everything under control in a way, just sort of, he's that, he's that presence that knows how to win, knows how to block, block shots. And if Nylon does sort of get in a sketchy area, then I think we'll be able to rely on Reyna, but I don't think that he'll come in and immediately start. And that's just what I'm thinking. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I I think with Reyna, I think to be honest, then I hate to say it. I think he comes in to start, yeah. Uh, I think when you look at him as he probably wanted guarantees and guarantee. And this is the thing that scares me the most. He kind of reminds me of uh, oh, when uh, Victor Valdez went to Middlesbrough. It kind of reeks of that a little bit more. Uh, a keeper, not saying Rana's poor. Uh, I'm not saying Valdez is poor either. I'm blaming that relegation on him as well. But it kind of stinks of a little bit of desperation. Now, we did lose Tom Heaton, and that is a man who has a... A strong head on his shoulders he commands his box and he sorts his defense out very clearly and no, tells them essentially what they, they want him to do and uh, well they try to do it to the best of their ability being villa but uh, sometimes that doesn't work um, so i think we're looking for aspects like that um, and can he bring that that's gonna be the biggest question um, if things get a little bit worse how 
will his head be and where will essentially his thoughts be going to if things aren't going well? Because I think we have to look at it from that perspective as well, yeah. because it, it's scary to say if things aren't going well for Loney's, they're thinking, well, I'm out of here in six months or a year or whatever, how long it may be. And you know what, this isn't my issue. So I think that's something to look at for as well. But uh, without further ado, we'll move on to the games here because it was definitely a mixed week for Aston Village. <laughs> I think we can say that. Definitely. We'll start, of course, midweek Carabao Cup, Leicester City. We went away, of course, uh, which definitely isn't our uh, our cream of the crop kind of thing this year, especially. And it was a 1-1 draw away, which definitely is a positive thing. And surprisingly, we scored first. Uh, Jake, if I'm going to get your initial thoughts on this game, how do you feel it went? Uh, were there any concerns for you? And yeah, just give your overall thoughts. Yeah, I mean, going into this game, I was one of the people I heard a lot of people saying the same thing, just sort of keep it close. I mean, we were fine if we were sort of going to lose by one. And so anything better than that was a positive result. And I think this was definitely a positive result. We didn't look the best. We didn't have the most possession in the first half, but we came out of the first half with a 1-0 lead in Leicester when they were second in the league. So that's a pretty pretty big feat to have, go, go, like coming in the second half with that. And one, once it was 1-0, I sort of figured, okay, we'll at least get out of this draw, out of this tie with making it making the second leg interesting. Whether it's going to be they'll come back and beat us 2-1, even if that was the case, I think the second leg would have been interesting. But we were able to hold hold on long enough, and then they of course got their goal. But I, I think 1-1 is a is a very good very good result coming out of Leicester. Oh, 100%. And I think this is a big thing for the likes of Tyrone Mings and Jack Grealish. Uh, of course, you had England manager Gareth Southgate there as well. Um, so, you know, they're going to be on the top of the game. They want to show, especially Grealish, why he finally deserves a call up. With that being said, Jake, do you feel that Jack Grealish finally deserves that England call up? It's been a long time and I know he was there at the City game as well, but you can't really base it off of that. That's a team performance, definitely. But do you think he deserves that call up? And if so, do you think it's coming soon? I think he deserves a call up without a doubt. I, if if you're basing it off of either the Leicester or the City game, I wouldn't say that Southgate would change his mind over either of those because Jack didn't really dominate in the Leicester game. He wasn't on the ball too much. But that's just kind of because Villa weren't as a whole. But when Jack was, that's where all of our attack came through. So I think Southgate will look at that and sort of be like, this is what the England squad needs, the creative midfielder to change the game and change the pace of the game, take it from the from the defense to the, to the, to the front and sort of just dominate and take over and be the game changer that they need when they're on the ball. So I really think that he'll be, he'll be in the next call up. I really do. Oh, hundred percent. And once again, of course, as a usual cool fashion, I apologize if you can hear dogs in the background, they panic <laughs> when people even come near this house. So that's how it is. But anyways, uh, the other point I kind of wanted to touch on was of course, or in Nyland, um, he comes in again, especially against Leicester, and he doesn't really put a foot wrong. I wouldn't blame him for the goal by any means. And you know what? He's uh, He hasn't done anything wrong. And I think that's the issue with a lot of people with this Pepperina signing is, is this too harsh on him? Where does this leave him in his mind space? And I think, Jake, the, the thing that this points out, it has to be the end of Kalinic uh, with Sarkic coming back from his loan no at doubt. Livingston. Uh, Let's let's look at Kalinic here for a second. It's kind of off topic off the game, but what are your thoughts on his signing? Because we haven't really, well, you and me haven't spoke too much in the past, but what were your thoughts on him coming in last season? And especially at the start of this season, where did you see him fitting in? So it's actually interesting. I saw Kalinic's last game. I was at the West Brom game that we lost 2-0 when he got the concussion. And I really think that he got a bad concussion and that's why they scored the two goals that they scored. Uh, it was Jay Rodriguez off the deflection and went right past him. And there was like a looped header that he couldn't that he couldn't get to, even though he's six foot eight or whatever it is. It, it was just a weird game. And then he hasn't been back since. So I just think it's time for him to go. He, he, there's, there's no need for him in the squad at this point. Um, 
he hasn't really had a role. I'm, I'm sure he's a decent keeper, so I'm sure he could have a role somewhere else. And I think that someone else would is going to go ahead and buy him. He'll probably go to like Italy or something like that. I could see it. Yeah, I could see that 100. percent I think the thing with him is he definitely was a, in my opinion, a Steve Bruce signing. Um, and of course, Bruce left before he could really make any impression. Actually, I think he left before he even came in, if I'm thinking correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And from the get go, you knew he just wasn't Dean Smith's man. And it's unfortunate to see that. And definitely it's unfortunate for the club because that's about seven million pounds kind of wasted, in my opinion. Yep. Um, for the first time in probably over 10 years, I'm looking at Villa thinking, holy Jesus, we have a lot of keepers. And you know what? That's never a bad thing. But at some point you have to. I don't want to call him dead weight, but at some point you have to shed that dead weight. But anyways, we'll get back on to the game here. We'll break down the goals here and we'll talk a little bit more Leicester Villa here. Um, so, of course, Villa kick it off with the first goal. Frederick Gilbert. Yes, Mark, I got it right. You mm-hmm. don't have to hassle me or Danny or James anymore. We finally got this right. He fired a right footed shot from very close range to about the center of the goal, I'll say. And of course, that was assisted by Anwar Al Ghazi's cross himself. And if you look at El Ghazi, there's a crazy stat actually going around that he's been involved in. I think it's Grealish and then him when it comes to um, being involved in the most goals. And that's kind of funny because uh, we'll get into El Ghazi's performance right now. Why not? Um, a lot of people this season don't think he's up to Premier League quality. He's definitely more of a championship player. They're saying uh, he doesn't seem bothered. There's a lot of people that moan and kind of groan against El Ghazi. Uh, Jake, where do you feel he fits in and how do you feel he performed against Leicester? It's very inconsistent with El Ghazi. It's hard to predict what you're going to get, whether or not he'll go on the wing and sort of be invisible and you'll forget that he's there or whether or not he'll be the one on the wing that cuts in and has five shots a game and and scores one and assists one or whatnot, whatnot. Um, but since Wesley's been out and he's sort of been thrown up to that up top role, people have been getting on his back a lot more and it doesn't really make sense. Obviously he's not a good hold up striker because he's literally not a hold up striker. So I don't understand. I mean, obviously there's warranted criticism behind the way he's been playing, but a lot of our attack does run through him and he's one of our more creative players that can do some damage in the final third. I don't, I don't really see much wrong with him. I don't see anybody else on our team that would be playing over him other than obviously Trezeguet direct, direct swap. I think he's clearly better than Yota or, whoever else may be coming on for him. So I don't have, I don't really have a problem with El Ghazi, but it's the inconsistency and the impo- it's impossible to predict which El Ghazi you're going to get on which day. Yeah. I, I think the thing with El Ghazi especially is that, uh, I think the price was just so good. Uh, you mm-hmm. couldn't really pass it up. And what he did last season, I think kind of set it for itself. The other issue, and I think that obviously goes down to management is we didn't bring in enough I guess enough personnel to fit the way we initially wanted to play. Of course, that's more changed from a 4-3-3 to a 3-4-3 slash 3-5-2 slash <laughs> a million other things. 4-5-1. whatever it yeah, was today. Jesus. It just goes from one thing to another, which you know what? It seemed to work um, except for today, of course. We'll get into that shortly. Um, but you look at our injuries, of course. You look at Tom Heaton. He's out. Uh, you look at Wesley. He's out for the season as well. Um, and then you look at someone like Frederick Gilbert. I want to say Gilbert so badly. Jeez. Um, and you look at him and then you look at someone like El Mahamedy. There are two different completely players. I want to get your opinion on this. And we're going off topic a little bit again, but that's what we do on this podcast. It makes mm-hmm. it fun. Where do you see... Gilbert and Elmo fitting into this team because if you look at the Man City game today especially of course Elmo was preferred when is it right and when is it wrong to essentially play uh, 
Gilbert because I think everyone's a little stumbled on when he should actually play. I think Gilbert should play all the time. Honestly, I love Elmo, but I don't think there's a if, if Gilbert is healthy and doesn't have the yellow card accumulation. I think he should play every game. He's got the fight. He's got the he's got the speed. He's got what, basically what we need. Even even if he like sprays passes errantly every once in a while, Elmo does the same thing. Elmo sort of does this, the thing where he shields the ball and then it, he'll win a throw in at best. It, it, it's just frustrating to watch. And Elmo doesn't he's not he doesn't have the pace for it anymore. I'm not I'm not trying to rag on the guy, but. I just think Gilbert should play every game. I think that he's he's up for it every game. I don't see why why Elmo would start. Yeah, no, I 100% agree on that. I think Elmo was just to kind of cover. Um, and I think the also th- the thing with Elmo as well, I think it's almost like a safety blanket. Uh, when you looked at even Steve Bruce and even when you look at uh, Dean Smith, I think he's just someone with so much vast experience. And he's been in this uh, situation before with Hull City, of course, a few times or a couple times, I should say. Um it's something another kind of cheap and cheerful re-signing it wasn't gonna take anything considerably crazy to re-sign him and it's another issue with I think lack of depth and I I wouldn't really say Elmo's putting too many feet wrong but there's a clear and vast quality difference there and maybe this midweek fixture kind of changed plans for the Man City game but it's definitely a talking point that was uh, important to be discussed now, he, of course, he, I think he plays a, he plays a really good role, but I just don't think he really fits with us anymore. I'm sure he could go to a different side and play sort of the same role that he had with us last year and years before. But it, this year, the way that we're playing, especially if we're trying to get wingbacks that go forward and up and back, I just, I just don't think he's up for it. He's one that can put play, play a damn good ball into the box, but we don't have anybody in the box to finish it. So it's not really worth having him out there, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think the other thing with Elmo, too, though, and this is what I wonder is uh, if and the, the, the fear of going down, I wonder if that's why we kept him not just because what you did for us in the past and thank you and you can still be some part of this team and serve some kind of purpose I almost wonder if it's a hey if we go down you might be our starting right back Mm -hmm. next season you don't know you don't know where if Gilbert will want to drop back and I mean it's hard to say for Gilbert as well because he was signed to be a championship player we weren't expected to go up last season so we're ahead of plan Um, I think us and Norwich were definitely way ahead of plan (laughs) Um, so a lot of things have changed there but anyways we'll get into the Leicester goal here because of course it did finish one all uh Kelechi Iannaccio uh, surprisingly in my opinion showing up with a goal he fires a left-footed shot from the center of the box to the high center of the goal Jamie Vardy um, being his supplier there and you're thinking with that it was a bit of a sloppy goal as well in my opinion kind of too easily cutting through our defense and I think that's another thing we look at as well and it's a theme of this podcast that'll kind of turn out to uh be displayed as well because we just take and concede too many shots here jake what are your thoughts on that how can we as a defensive unit how, how can these guys figure this out because uh for example the the manchester city game uh this afternoon when we're watching it evening of course in the uk we conceded over 20 shots and i think the Leicester one was over 15 if i'm not wrong so what has to change here I don't I honestly don't know. I think it's like we're almost comfortable giving them shots from certain angles and from certain distances with this three back. But if you look at some of the chances that they had and Nyland really Nealon really stood on his head against Leicester. He had one he had one point blank uh, stop from Madison after Madison. I think nutmeg Courtney Hall from inside the six. He had two breakaway saves on Vardy two or three. He he really kept us in that game. I, honestly, I think it could have been it could have been two zero Leicester and then we wouldn't have been able to come back into that game at all. But the fact that he kept it zero zero, we got our one goal and then we went on from there. I think that was very solid, but it's hard. Like you were saying, they got their goal. It was pretty scrappy. It's hard to say that they didn't deserve a goal on the day, but it just really sucks that that's how they got it after, after how well we managed to keep the ball out of the net 
to give a goal away that, like that, it just that one really hurt. Yeah, I think a lot of people look at it too, and as soon as Villa concede any goal, hell, we could be up ten nothing, and we concede a goal, and then they think we're just going to give it away <laughs> and lose or draw or something negative. Um, I think that creeps into any Villa fan's mind, to be honest, um, and. It's something I think we have to get rid of as a fan base and definitely those players because you can see it start to creep in and they didn't look too comfortable after that goal, in my opinion, uh, playing on the back foot a little too much. And I, I don't know if this is a Dean Smith thing. I wouldn't say it's a Dean Smith thing because you saw this under Steve Bruce somewhat. Um, of course, Steve Bruce just liked to sit back and absorb it and maybe get the odd goal here, which in my opinion, it was boring football. He almost got it up, got us up, but it just wasn't attractive to me personally. But then you look at this game and you look at Dean Smith's style of play and it's a running gun kind of moving forward, high press. You want to win that ball back and you want to do it quickly. We don't essentially have the players to do that. And I think it kind of exemplified it in this game, especially after we conceded, because as soon as we concede, it's almost set up shop, hope for the best. And yes, it's a cup game. It's important essentially to go into the second uh, leg of this, which I believe is being played on the 20th of January um, at Villa Park. Go into that, of course, uh, equal, because if you're going in kind of playing from behind, you're going to be gunning for it and they're going to be wanting to essentially pick you off as soon as you're kind of going forward and Jake Villa are extremely weak when it comes to defending. We all know that when we're looking at this second leg, how do you feel about going into it? it it's rough because I mean, recently we haven't been performing away and now we go away and get the one, one draw. And then this, now we don't really have the fortress of Villa park anymore. We had fans leaving in the 28th minute. We'll get to that later. I'm sure. But like, it just doesn't feel like a, the home environment is really that impactful anymore. It's just, it doesn't really matter for home or away. It's just what team, what Villa team is going to turn up that on the day because it could be Leicester away, it could be Burnley away, it could be Southampton at home. It really just does. It doesn't seem to matter where it is. It's just what Villa team will show up that day. I don't know if it's the environment or if it's a mental thing or what or what it may be. But the uh, another side point, the, as you were going on, as you were talking more and more about that, I've started to realize that we just genuinely don't have the depth that it may be. We don't have the impact players to come off the bench, whether it's we're, we're, we need a goal late in the game or we need to hold on to a lead late in the game. We don't really have the subs that have come on to sort of solidify what we need. Or Do you, do you agree with that? Oh, 100%. It, it's a clear lack in quality. I think you can see that in us. No offense to Norwich, you can see in them as well. Uh, you can see in a few teams this season especially. Um, it, it's one of those things where... See, I don't like making this excuse, and a lot of people point me out as someone that's making an excuse saying this, but you have to look at how many players we lost and how many mm-hmm. players were aging and out of contract last season. Uh, the the easy comparison, of course, is Fulham, um, and I think a lot of people use that essentially as a cop-out, and I get bored of that personally because... Uh, unlike Fulham, essentially, we had to buy players because what are we going to do? A re-sign Milianenac? Are we going to have our starting right back be Alan Hutton? Like, it's just one of those things you look at it, and we had to make these signings. Now, we're we're not a club that can go out and spend 200 million pounds. It's going to, one thing, go beyond and just expand explode on financial fair play and just blow that out of the water. Um, and you have to kind of be financially responsible for that as well. Uh, it's, it, it's hard to say. I think this is the season where it's we're ahead of schedule. We're going to see where it goes. We're going to run and gun this. And if we stay up, that's brilliant. We'll rebuild. And hopefully, you know what, if we do stay up, Jake, it's one of those situations where we'll hopefully have a stronger bench next season. I think yeah, this is just a survival season, essentially. Yeah, just got to get through it. 
Yeah, 100%. Um, now, we'll end this game off with a couple match balls here. We'll uh, hopefully get Danny's in, but if not, uh, I'll try to get it posted on the uh, 7500 to Holt Twitter. Of course, you can follow us at 7500 to Holt on Twitter. Uh, try to keep that as active as possible, of course. Um, so without further ado, Jake, who takes your match ball? I think I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but I think Nealon's got to take it. Oyan Nyland. Uh, he really kept us in the game. It could have been, we could have been down 2-0 in the first 30-ish minutes, if not, because Vardy got on the end, I think, of two breakaways. And Nealon saved at his near post with his foot, and he had a good diving save on one as well. So if we're down 2-0 in the first 30 minutes, I think this legs, this entire tie is over. But instead, we, we keep in, we're staying in the game, and then Gilbert gets the, gets the goal, and it's 1-0 us, just like that. So I think Nealon really gets the, the game ball for me. Oh, 100%. Um, and uh, I don't know how many times I've agreed with other co-hosts or guests but uh, I would have to give my match ball to Nyland as well. Didn't put a foot wrong. I think he's essentially stepped in, like we've said before, for Tom Heaton, and he's showing his qualities. Uh, there was definitely a lot of questions over him, but he's come in, looked comfortable. Uh, we'll get on to the Man City result here in a second, because I think a lot of people might use him as a cockpit, which is unfair. Mm-hmm. But no, he looked comfortable. He stepped in. He commanded his box, and he did his thing, and that's what you want of a keeper. So we're both going with Nyland, of course. Didn't put a foot wrong, I think it's fair to say, but... But let's get a little bit more depressing here, and hopefully we can somehow uh, make this into a positive spin of things. Aston Villa at home, one. Manchester City, six. Um, (laughs) Jake, it it wasn't an easy watch. Uh, We held out for all of 18 minutes. And to be fair to Villa, we looked relatively comfortable for about 16 minutes and there was that two minute span where you just thought oh no it's coming um and of course if you look at the goal goal scores i'll just read them off we'll go through this game a little bit quickly (laughs) than usual because it wasn't the best game to watch if you're a Villa fan, but you know what? If you're a Man City fan or a neutral, you probably loved it. Of course, you had Riyad Mahrez score in the 18th and 24th minute. Sergio Aguero, if you had him in your fantasy league and you triple captained him or captained him, you're loving life tonight. Uh, 28th minute, 57th minute, 81st minute for that hat trick. Uh, Gabriel Jesus scored in extra time in the first half. And of course, for us, you had the man himself, Anwar Al-Ghazi, score in extra time. In the second half, thanks to Trezeguet being fouled in the box by, I believe, Otamendi, if I'm correct. Um, a consolation goal nonetheless. But Jake, how did you feel about this game? It it was one that could have and did run away from us uh, really easily and super early. Yeah, I, um, I'm still trying to get my head around it and really just I, I expected this. I expected something like this. I thought it was going to be something like 3-0 City. Um, I thought we would hang on for a solid 30 minutes, maybe have some chances. but I, I really don't even know what it is. I'm trying to think if it's one or two things, but it just didn't look good at all today. We, we didn't have possession, and when we did, we didn't do anything with it. It just it, Unless Grealish was on the ball getting fouled, it, we really didn't have anything going forward, and when they were attacking, we weren't stepping to them. I think I saw something. I'm pretty sure I just saw a stat right before we started recording. It was something like Villa's four midfielders had a combined like six tackles, and Man, oh, City, Man City players made like 800 total passes. <laughs> so, so, yeah, something like something like that. I, I forget, or maybe 800 total touches in our in our half, or something like that. It was it was something absurd. I'm I'm not gonna quote the exact stats. I'm not looking at it right now, but it was something absurd of how few tackles our midfielders made, and that's just never gonna be a recipe for success against a team like Man City. No, it's it's. It- See, I look at this game and you see people on Twitter and I won't point them out. They're the same people. They probably know who they are. As soon as we concede a goal, it's over. It's done. It's whatever. It's 
in my opinion, I'm honestly, the way we lost isn't good. It doesn't look good for the going forward for the rest of the season and for the future. Definitely. I can see that standpoint. The thing that utterly annoys me is the people in the keyboard warriors on Twitter that as soon as we concede one goal, it's the sky has fallen. Like <laughs> we're playing the, the defending champions. Yep. I know Liverpool are going to win the league. They've run away with it. Man City have kind of collapsed a little bit and they're still competing with Leicester City for that second spot uh, for Champions League essentially at this point. But they're probably the second best team, if not the third, maybe even stretching into the fourth best team in the world. We're in a situation where we're meet or we're missing our starting striker who is struggling. We're missing our starting goalkeeper who you'd have to argue probably might have saved the first one there and maybe a cut one or two others, depending. Uh, we're missing quality players that are crucial to us, the way they fit our formation, the way they fit our shape. I look at it and I automatically think, well, what do you expect until we sign another striker, until maybe we get another midfielder, because I still think we need one, until even we maybe get another center back, because I think we need another one of those as well. I think we're it's going to be a rough ride and we have to hold on for it. And no matter what happens, uh, let's get on to it now, because it annoys me probably as much as it annoys you. People leaving in the 30th minute, Jake, what are your thoughts on that? Because it boggles my mind. Yeah, uh, people have the right to spend their own money, obviously. People are going to say that. People are going to defend other people. But at the end of the day, if you're going to go to a game like this and expect us to win, and if we're not winning, you're going to leave, I don't know what your mentality really is because obviously it's Man City. You want to go to see these world-class players. But then, I mean, we're we're getting turned over in the 30th minute, but there's still plenty to go. And then you hear our fans that are still there in the 80th minute singing loud and clear on 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 the TV. So it's like... It, our fan, our fans are there, but then they're also not. And the ones that were leaving in the 30th minute, I wouldn't, I'm not 100% sure that they were leaving. Leaving, I'm sure a lot of them were just going to the concourse to get to get some drinks before halftime or something like that. But still, not a good look for sure. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's an interesting look, but I wouldn't. Ne- I don't think I would ever do it. I I was. I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan, so I was at the playoff game yesterday, and we were clearly going to lose that one. And I stayed till the very last minute of it. Of it. That's just how I am. I. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, same here. No, I agree with that. No, I think the people, and I tweeted this out and I got a lot of backlash, whatever. Um, People are free to do whatever the hell they want with their money and with their lives. I'm not even saying that. It's And some of those people definitely were just going to the concourse, maybe going to the washroom, maybe calling a loved one. You never know. (laughs) Maybe just venting their frustrations in a drunken stupor because that happens. Uh, there are, and I obviously I can't prove this, but 100% there are people left in the 30th minute. I would have to say. True. And that's in every club. I'm not just saying that's a Villa problem. We saw this at Newcastle, and fair enough, their ownership's still a mess. Um, but if you're leaving in the 30th minute, yes, maybe uh, people made the point. Maybe they have a far way to travel, and they're thinking, well, this is pointless. Fair enough. I, I give that. But at the same po- point, and I'm saying this from an international fans' perspective, I'm saying this from a fans' perspective that people, even in England and the UK, even in Birmingham, wherever you are, probably can't afford to make it, and they're dying to make True. it. True. Yep. The issue with me is, especially if you're a season ticket holder, and you know going to Villa Park against Manchester City, you're most likely expecting a loss, um, unless it's like uh, a few years ago when we were in the Premier League and Andy Vyman just <laughs> absolutely stole my heart. I still have that uh, photo screen, uh, saved in my screensaver somewhere. That, that was uh, it was my Twitter background for for so for so long until we won the, until we got promoted. That was my Twitter background. Him standing in front of the whole. It's the best picture, honestly. <laughs> it's amazing. He looks so tiny compared to everyone else. But yeah, like unless you're expecting that, then 
sell your tickets to someone else. Don't even bother go. I wouldn't say don't bother going, but give them to someone else that wants to go or do something or stay. Because the, the thing that I have an issue with, and I go to Toronto FC games, I go to Montreal Canadiens games in the NHL, I go to various sporting events. I won't leave until the very end because you pay your hard-earned money now you can do whatever yeah. you want with it like i said before but then again what does that say to the players and people that say oh well if me little me leaves they're not going to notice you'd be surprised what players notice i i think especially that many people even if you're just going to the concourse because you're frustrated players see that and it does infect it does affect their performances and i wouldn't blame that performance on a fan or anything by any means today but it, it does go a long way in backing your side how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's a point I really didn't really think of, of about uh, how many other fans are probably di- dying to sit for the rest of those 60 minutes, even though we're down 6-0. They would, they would love to be sitting in that seat and they're, from their point of view, just looking at that. So, yeah, I'll agree with that. Okay, fair enough. That was an easy one. No argument there. <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> but anyways, we'll get into some stats here. Um, th- this is a depressing one. Um, Villa now fall back into the relegation zone. We take up that 18th spot. On 21 points, of course, Watford now sit directly above us on 22. Uh, we've surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, fallen to a minus 15 goal differential, if I do believe so, at time of recording. Um, and you know what? That's something that's kind of annoying because you look at a few, couple months ago, I think we were sitting at like a plus two goal differential. And I'm thinking if we can keep it somewhere be- uh, between like, say, a plus three and a minus seven, we're looking pretty good this season. Uh, Jake, how important do you feel that goal difference is especially with us this season because I think that's going to be one stat that's going to be crucial for us in my opinion yeah I mean goal differential really tells the story of your season if, you, if you're being honest like if you look at a team that has a pretty even goal differential they'll probably be mid-table obviously it, it, it correlates very well but we yeah like you were saying early on in the season we were one of the teams even though we were in the bottom half towards the lower end we were one of the teams that I think we were the only team that had a zero or positive goal differential. It was for a while, too. It was a really long time that it was mm-hmm. like that. And then, yeah, now we started losing 3-0, 6 <laughs> uh, 6-1, whatever it may be. So it's dropping off. But I think it could be very crucial, and especially looking months and months ahead. If you, if you, you, I'm trying to memorize who we've played like towards the end of the season, but it's like Arsenal at home. And then, yeah, it's just like a bunch of it's like a bunch of top six games to end the season in May. And it's just like that is not one battle that you want to have to worry about is not losing by goal differential. I don't know how many times in history somebody's gotten relegated or avoided relegation based on goal differential, but I would hate to be on the wrong side of that one. Oh, 100 percent. I think the thing with most fans and the issue here is, you know what? I don't surprisingly enough, some people might be shocked by this, but I don't expect to beat top six teams. Some people do. Um, you do have lower end sides that are struggling in relegation areas or fighting for their lives. And essentially, they do get that one or two wins against your Man Cities, your Chelsea's, your United. People forget whatever. Norwich beat them. Norwich beat yeah. them at home this season. Yeah, and that's important for them. But I don't expect to beat them. But yep. I want it to be relatively close. And I want if and you know what? Say if we lose 4-2, those two goals are massive. That does a lot for your goal differential. And, and that's the issue I have with the side right now. Yes, we lost 6-1, but... If we could have scored even somehow three goals in this game, it just makes it look a little bit better in terms of goal differential. And I think a lot of people, especially on Twitter that I see, and I shouldn't reference that too much, but I don't think they really look at that enough. And you know what? At the end of the day, we could be in a dogfight with your Norwiches, your Bournemouths, whoever. And on the final day, we play West Ham. That's not going to be an easy game. And I think we have to look at that. And you know what? Say if there's three teams tied within... 
I don't know, they're tied on the same point or we're within like a point or two of staying up. You know what? We could literally go down because of goal difference. It's happened before and it'll happen again to other teams. So uh, we'll move on from there. But I think that's an important point. I'm glad we talked about it. But of course, we'll do a quick little preview now because, of course, next Saturday we travel to Brighton and Hull Albion and face them at the Amex Stadium. Um, it's going to be a tough match where they currently occupy the 14th spot, if I do uh, believe at this time of recording. They have a 6 6 and 10 record for 24 points so you know what this is in my opinion a huge six pointer because we win we're tied with them they'll be ahead yeah. on goal differential because they have that. yeah they have a minus five goal differential which is fantastic to be in their position in my opinion um but no that they'll still be ahead of us but it'll be something key and that'll comfortably keep us out for at least a week or two you'd have to think now you look at brighton i don't know how much you've watched them this season um they're not sometimes the best team to watch, in my opinion. I know a lot of people like me saying that, whatever. Um, in the past, I should say, under Hewton, they weren't the most exciting. Of course, you have a new manager coming in, new ideas, and they've looked a little bit better. Um, their last five Premier League matches, I think they've won one and drawn one, so they're not in the greatest form like us. So, Jake, how do you feel about this match? And if I could be ever so uh, brave to ask your scoreline. Yeah, Um if I'm trying to remember this right, this was the home game where they scored the header off of the free kick in the early. And then, yeah, Aaron Moore got sent off with the double yellow, like back to back in the first half. Yeah. Matt Target winner at the end. That, that's the game. Yes, that yeah, was okay. the one yeah, yeah. that uh, we had. a We did a preview. Uh, actually, he's a really nice guy. We did a preview with a uh, Brighton and Hove Albion fan when we were doing the previews here on the 7500 to Holt for the podcast. And he was very confident they were going to roll us over. So it was kind of a. Uh, Nice to see a lot of people uh, yeah. almost stick it in his face. <laughs> yeah, um, honestly, I think I, I say this is so much as much as we're in a relegation fight right now. I really don't think we're one of the bottom three teams in the league in terms of quality. In terms of quality, I don't think we're even in the bottom five, maybe six. Like, I think we're better than a team like Brighton. I think we're better than a team like Burton, Burnley, as we just showed. But we just need to get the results and show it. So I think if we can go, go to Brighton and play the way that we're supposed to play, play the way that we did once they were a man down and we actually took it to them. I really think that we can that we can beat them as well. And I'll. I'll go 2-0. I'll go 2-0 at Brighton because I don't think they'll be able to handle the the three back. I don't know if they get many chances. Well, you heard it here first. 2-0 to the Villa away. I think that's that's huge because Villa do need to start winning these away games. We're extremely poor away from home. Um, Not that much better at home either, but you have to, in order to stay in this league, essentially, you have to start winning these away games. And you look at the schedule, I think mathematically we probably have to win at least five more games to have any hope of staying up and draw a few here i'd say probably five wins and you might look at maybe three to five more draws you'd have to think yeah because they say around like isn't 40 points usually the safety line isn't that isn't that what they usually try to say it's starting to go up even more now that i've noticed because honestly the last few years it's been such a topsy-turvy league that you're seeing teams stay up and I think when Villa were under Lambert, um, you could stay up with like anywhere between 33 to 38 points. And nowadays it might even take up to 40 to 43, even 44 points. It's yeah, been that true. tight. So, uh, yeah, if I'm looking at this game personally, it's going to be tough. Uh, Brighton are probably going to come in with a bit more confidence. I think what's key in this, in my perspective, is the Villa fans need to go, Villa fans and players, I should say, need to go in this with their heads held high and just do the best they can do. Because if we're going to go into this kind of sore, tired, a little depressed after a Man City result, then you're not going to look 
or another pretty score line, it's going to be negative again. I think you have to go in this with a clear head, all guns blazing, play the style of play, because you know what? Brighton faced us with a 4-3-3. They haven't faced us in this new 3-5-2 formation. So I think that could catch them out in a little bit. Um, if I'm going to give a score line here, let's be confident here. I'm going to go 2-1 to the Villa. Um, I won't give goal scores because it's going to be it's going to be tough. And, of course, we don't really have a designated striker right now. So that's another concern in itself. Um, if I'm backtracking, Jake, for a second, because I can just realize I completely forgot. Yeah. Um, what was your match ball for the Man City game? Oof. Oof. For Man, for Man City? Uh, honestly, I'm going to have to give it to Trezeguet when he came on. When he came on, he was he gave us the only chances of the game that we had. Uh, why not? I'll give it to Trezeguet. Yeah, that's fair enough. I was actually going to do the same thing because I thought, you know what? The easy one is to give it to Grealish because he looks like the only one that's going to battle and just grind it out and try to yeah. do something at least. But no, Trezeguet came on, um, and I think, once again, he proves that he is a firecracker coming off the bench. He definitely suits that kind of style of play to come against tired defenses. And it, it seemed to work. And obviously it worked, of course, because he uh, got fouled and led to the Al-Ghazi, uh, penalty, or the Al-Ghazi goal. Sorry. Um, so th- that's positive to look at in that perspective. So uh, I think for the first time in uh, Holtcast history, we're agreeing on both our match balls being <laughs> the same players. So... Easy We've broken enough. that deduct. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, anyways, we'll we'll wrap it up there, Jake. Uh, it's been great having you on. It's been kind of a, I wouldn't say a disorganized week, but we've kind of been all over the place and why not? It's been a an emotionally fulfilled week of ups <laughs> and downs for Villa, as always, because as we know, uh, being a, it's not easy. It's, uh, it's a little painful. But anyways, Jake, if you'd be ever so kind, uh, let the listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, uh, just Instagram and Twitter at Jake Fenicle, first and last name. It's just there. I'm I'm I take over the Twitter account sometimes on 7500 to hold when there's when there's games going on. I try to recap as much as possible, try to blog as much as possible. Yeah, go ahead and give me a follow. I appreciate it a lot. Hey, thanks for having me on today, Cole. Yeah, absolutely. We'll uh, try to get you on in the future, of course, and maybe have Danny be the uh, addition because he is another co-host. But I do apologize because uh, he's working and I'm sure he wants yeah, to be no here as well. But anyways. We'll wrap it up there. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at Talk Villa, of course, and you can find the 7,500 to Holt count at 7,500 to Holt. Pretty easy because I said it twice, so you should have it by now. And, of course, you can find us all together on the website at www.7500toholt.com. Thank you very much for listening and up the villa. Up the villa.